we're the second vehicle calling in the checkpoints. I remember calling in checkpoint three, three, and we rounded this 90 degree turn for the last stretch of road. And as we rounded that corner, I heard this metallic plink, this loud whooshing sound. And uh, that was us hitting 200 pounds of, of homemade explosives that were buried under the road. Thank you for listening to 50 Shades of Boucher. On this episode, we had John Creasel. Uh, John served in Iraq. He lost his legs when a bomb exploded underneath his Humvee. Um, John tells that story. And, uh, you know, thank you for John for, for, for going through that story again and allowing me to ask questions for something that, you know, um, is, is completely out of my realm on most podcasts, but, but what an amazing story. And, uh, you know, John, thank you. Thank you again. Um, you can find John at johnmcreasel.com if you're looking to book him for any, uh, you know, uh, social gatherings is what I called it, uh, or what I wanted to call it. Um, if you want to book him for anything like uh, public speaking or motivational speaking, uh, that's what John does now. And, and John tells the story and, and it, you know, I bought his book still standing. Um, and I still need to read it. And I apologize to John that I haven't read that yet. But, uh, you know, it, it's it again, I know I'm going to keep saying this. It's a great story. So um, if you haven't heard it, buckle up. Uh, you know, you're going to learn something and, and, and hopefully it's appreciation. I think that's the message from this podcast is, is just be appreciative to what you got look, to look forward to today. So with that being said, let's get into the podcast. You can find it on all, all, blah, 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 blah. you can find it on all formats. And uh, if you want to send it out, please tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your, uh, whoever the fuck will listen, but thank you for uh, listening and uh, let's get into the show. about the trip but i'll skip right over that um to be honest i have a four month old so uh we're already rolling i just figured i'd throw that out there but uh so i have a four month old i have bought your book i have not read it yet i got to the first paragraph where it talks about you know you kind of going through your kind of reviewing your life in the moment of, of of right after um you know the the explosion so even with that you know i don't want to overstep anything you know um uh, this podcast originally was about the OC, but I didn't wasn't gonna pay the twenty bucks it was to get a season on uh, Amazon. I think it was, <laughs> but uh, I'm definitely down to it's talk about HBO it. Max. It's on HBO Max also. I'm on so many things. It's like to a point where it's like, where am I just gonna buy cable? You know, it's <laughs> right. But right. Uh, but no, I figured this would be a better starting point than trying to ask you about Marissa or you know anything sure. like that. So <laughs> so go on with your story, man. It's a it's a great story, and I, it's something that you know I, I as I told people that you were coming on, um, I don't think a whole lot of people knew, and I was pretty surprised given that you know you've been on uh, the power trip and everything else. But um, feel free to you know tell it as quick as you want, or I know you've told it a million times, so uh, I'll, I'll I'll give it up to you. So as far as like, what exactly do you want to know? You want to, I mean, uh, let's see, uh, you know, the, the bigger parts of, of your life, I guess, if you want to start with, with, uh, your touring in Iraq, um, you can go there. Sure. If not, you want to start, you know, I, I don't really know how you start your story. So I feel, I've, like I said, I feel very terrible. I plan on reading the book, but don't. the baby don't, is, uh, don't. the baby's don't been, feel bad. I got you, man. Right on. I understand. Yeah. Mine's 16 months old now. So yeah, been there. There you um, go. So yeah, I, I grew up White Bear Lake, 
uh, or Badness Heights technically graduated from White Bear Lake in 2000, joined the Minnesota National Guard on my 17th birthday. I knew that's what I wanted to do for basically when I was 10 years old. I saw the first Gulf War on TV, said that's what I want to do. And the, the, and the job in the military, I wanted to be an infantryman. So I wanted to be boots on the ground. So, so National Guard, the reason that kind of uh, was appealing to me was the fact that I could join on my 17th birthday. I could go to basic training the summer after my junior year in high school and then do the job training the summer after uh, I graduated. Okay, and yeah. this way, if I loved it, I could go active duty. You could always up sign sign up for active duty. If you join active duty, you gotta wait till your contract's up to go National Guard. So it's a good way to kind of get your get your your toes in the water. And so okay, I, I uh, so that was I joined in '98, graduated in 2000, a deployment to Kosovo in 2004, and then right when we got back, there's. Uh, rumors of a deployment to Iraq coming up. I was going to get out because I wanted to be a paramedic firefighter for the St. Paul Fire Department. So I signed up for EMT classes. uh, And then I got a call from one of my buddies. He said, you're you're not really getting out, are you? I said, oh, yeah. It's been real and it's been fun, but it hasn't been real fun. And so uh, he knew that I loved the Army deep down. I obviously knew I loved it deep down. And when he said there was a Iraq deployment coming up. There's no reason. There's no way I was gonna sit at Fort Living Room and hang out while my friends deployed. And so we all we hadn't been home long enough, so they couldn't force us to go. So we had to sign a waiver and essentially volunteer to go. So me and a handful of my buddies volunteered. Then 2006, we ended up boots on the ground in Iraq, and that's that's kind of where the fun started. Can I ask you? Do you understand the like? what you're committing to at that point having mm-hmm. you know been given that you've been through basic and everything i mean like you're are you I, I, yes you're mentally prepared but are you mentally prepared I, I, does that make sense yeah it totally does i mean it, it's you, you are provided with the best training that there is but nothing can fully 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 right. prepare you of course you just have to you know lean on your training lean on your experience and really that's that's what I did, and, and I mean, Kosovo was was an important deployment, and we we're on a peacekeeping mission, uh, and it got a little bit wild. There were riots and and stuff, but it wasn't like Iraq. And we our entire time in Kosovo, we talked about that that we were really given the easy deploy. You usually don't get to pick your deployments, right? And so, so you sorry the kids in the Dude. way on the other side of the house and she's yelling no worries um, you might hear mine it'll be a battle right um so it was more of we realized you know it's like it's it's like sports you want to be put in the game with the game on the line and in the military that's war and we obviously don't want there to be war because we're the ones that have to fight in it but if there's a war going on we feel like that's where we should be that's what we train to do and so we talked about it the whole time in Kosovo, and when we got back, you know, it was all right. Some people went their separate ways, but once we heard about that Iraq deployment, we talked and said, I will go if you go, and I will go if you go. And so we went, signed that waiver together, and and so, yes, we knew what we were getting into. Obviously, in hindsight, you know what can happen. Yeah, you know that you know there's, there's a risk. chance not everyone's going to come back. 
Yep. Or not everyone's going to come back in one piece. And so that's part of the, that's part of the deal. That's the job that we chose. And so um, I'm glad that we we got to do that. And I mean, even considering the fact that we hit that bomb on December 2nd, 2006, um, you know, I, I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Now, was there something that you saw uh, going to, was it Kosovo? And then, you know, you get the Iraq deployment and you said you, you got to choose to go to that one, uh, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, was yeah, there something you that you to, saw? You have to get, you have to be back a certain amount of time to kind of decompress. Yep. So they can't turn around and force you to go on another deployment right away because we got back at the end of 04 and the the Iraq deployment, the train up started uh, October of 05. Okay. So, so yeah, we just, we, they couldn't, so if I reenlisted, but then if I didn't want to go on that Iraq deployment, I wouldn't have had to, I would have just done the one week in a month, same with my buddies, but we, we wanted to go on the deployment. So right. you're, I, you're, I didn't fully understand your question when you said, is there something I saw? Sorry. Was there, was there, you know, um, some people would, would, would say that because they went over there and they didn't see anything and you come back, you know, you don't have to reenlist. Was there something that kind of gave you a reason like, uh, that you saw over there, like, Hey, these people need our help or, or, you know, was it the fact that, you know, your buddies were going and you weren't going to leave, you know, let them go without you? I think it was a little bit of, of all of that. I I mean, these are army buddies are family. They become family to you. And so, um, and, and there is the part of it too, where again, it's the put me in coach. There's, there's a war going on and I fully believed we should have been involved in it. And I still stand by that, uh, based on the things I saw when I was there, they need us there. And, we were a society right now that loves to piss and moan and it's it's i don't even fault us for it it's the fact that we're so fucking blessed to live in this country and we don't even realize it until we go other places until we've been to a third world country and when i first set foot in kosovo that was the first time at the age of 22 i fully saw firsthand how lucky we are to live in the united states and the freedoms we enjoy here and and of course our country can always improve we have faults no nobody's perfect our country's not perfect but compared to the other ones we're pretty damn close and there's a lot of people that want to come here and live here and i think that says a lot about it and so that's really the reason we wanted to go is we wanted to give them a taste of the life that we are so blessed to have here Right on. No, I get you 100%. We're very lucky to be born on like this weird patch of dirt that allows us to like roam freely and, and, right. you know, vote for who we want. And like, it could have just as easily been born on the other side of the world. And you're not even close to that as a luxury. It's, 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 right. you know, no, 100%, man. So, so, um, just, just so, um, anyone listening, uh, knows. So when John says the explosion, um, you were, you were going through, uh, uh, on just a patrol, right? And and there was a, a underground um, bomb. IED. IED. Yes. Okay. So we we went on a foot patrol in the middle of the night to go watch. There was an intersection that they've been putting bombs in frequently because it was the the only intersection we could use to get to where the enemy activity was. They knew that, and so of course that's that's where you put a booby trap. Is when it's the only place you can go. Right. And so. We wanted to find out who was doing this. They never showed up. And then we got spotted. So we had to go back to our bay, our forward 
combat outpost, so a very small base. And we, could, just in case that person that spotted us was cooperating with the enemy, they could say how many of us there were, what our location was, what weapons we had. We could be ambushed. Right. So the minute we got spotted in our in our hide site, we went back to, to the the pump house is what it was called, pump house Flanders. And so a chow took a nap. And then our lieutenant was up on the roof watching for enemy activity, and he spotted some suspicious activity. It wasn't outright enemy activity, but it needed to be looked at. So he needed volunteers to go and check it out. So five of us, there are five seats in that Humvee, five of us volunteered to go in that. And then there was a Bradley fighting vehicle ahead of us. So we went down there and checked out everything. And you always keep the Bradley fighting vehicle ahead of you because that's a 27-ton I think 27 or 32 tons. I can't remember which. I've been out too long now. Right. Um, it's a good fullback, though, for sure. Yeah, and you, you, you have that right in front of you because if if there's a vehicle to hit the bomb, you that, that one can take a little more of a beating than a Humvee. Right on. Our Humvee was fully armored, brand new. I mean, it was it was a, it could handle a beating. But we went down, we searched everybody in that area, ended up actually, we're pretty sure it was a whorehouse. And so a couple of the guys oh, made yeah. jokes like, hey, hey, can you guys pull security while, while I go and handle some things? And obviously jokes because you can't do that when you're on mission. But right, right. Um, but uh, we we thoroughly searched and it. So it looked suspicious, but it wasn't anything that was a threat or dangerous. So we were going to move on. And then we got a call from our headquarters saying that one of the drones flying above us spotted someone digging in the road at checkpoint three, four, which was about two miles from us. And so we, we knew that they weren't planting flowers in the road, obviously, that that right. person was more than likely putting a bomb in the road. So we needed to go and get rid of them. And so we headed out on our way to checkpoint three, four, that Bradley fighting vehicle was the first one. And we're the second vehicle calling in the checkpoints. I remember calling in checkpoint three, three, and we rounded this 90 degree turn for the last stretch of road. And as we rounded that corner, I heard this metallic plink this loud whooshing sound. And uh, that was us hitting 200 pounds of, of homemade explosives that were buried under the road. Jesus and, fucking Christ. Yeah, yeah. So it was, I uh, got knocked out briefly. And so I woke up on the ground and I hadn't yet opened my eyes, but I heard the rocks hitting the ground. I heard the rocks hitting metal. So it sounded sounded like a hailstorm. Yeah. And so I, I knew I had been injured. I didn't feel any pain, really. So I surveyed myself uh, just to assess the damage. And I saw that my left leg just above the knee uh, was connected, maybe by a piece of skin, but probably it was my pant leg was holding it together. My femur was broken and sticking out. My right leg just below the knee looked like I stuck it in a wood chipper, and it was I, I could hear the blood hitting the sand. Uh... And so I was I was fairly certain that my life was going to end uh that day uh, and so thankfully it wasn't in the cards my buddies in the vehicle ahead of us we didn't have medics with us because we we were pretty sure we we're going to meet up with the enemy and so we wanted to have extra riflemen with us uh just in case we had to mix it up with someone that that's what you want but right of, of course Murphy's law, you know, if you if you canceled your auto insurance, you'll get in a car accident pulling out of your driveway. That's just the way it works. You know, right. if you don't bring a medic with you on a patrol, you're going to get blown up. So thankfully, we all go through combat lifesaver training. 
and um, my buddies in the vehicle ahead of us uh, came back and and saved our lives. That's let me just say, and I I guarantee you this. I'm not the first one to say this. That is fucking insane, John. Um. Uh, one question I have about it is, was, was there anything or who was the first person you thought of in that moment? I mean, I know you said in the book that you review your life, but who was the first mm-hmm. person that you, you actually went to? I pictured my mom and see, so I was married. I was married at that time to someone else. Mm-hmm. And, um, but the first thing I thought of really were, you know, I thought about the stepkids, yeah. and of course, I you know, I thought about my wife at that time too. Mm-hmm. But the first yeah. thing that really that I was focused on was I pictured my mom getting the call and and hearing that I had died. I just kind of pictured this in my mind, yeah, and just kind of picturing her lose it. Uh, so I was concerned about my parents because I, I know that they, it, and now having a daughter of my own. I can understand really how, I mean, it's our job to protect them and, and raise them up and then they become adults and then they, you hope that you taught them the right things and that they lead a happy, healthy life. And then, but you're helpless. And and I know that my parents, anytime I talk to them, they always felt helpless and obviously were concerned because this, when you go on deployment, the military has so many different jobs and, and, with these global war on terror, not just infantry, infantry is always front lines. Usually other jobs in the global war on terror became more front lines than they normally would have, but there's still a ton of support roles where if you're deployed and those are super important jobs, we need those. Right. But they're on base. A lot of times they're mostly safe, but they knew mine and they know me well enough that I wouldn't tell them what was going on because I didn't want them to be afraid but they could sense, and I had just been home on leave for my two-week R&R about a month, little over a month before that. Oh. And I think they could sense that um, I didn't have a good feeling about about our, but returning there. Obviously, most of our guys came back fine, but yeah. we lost three guys in during the deployment. We had 23 wounded Um and so I knew, and at that point things were ramping up. And so it was, it felt like a matter of time. We had been only out of 15 or so squads. There were only three squads, I think at that point that hadn't hit an IED. So it was just a matter of time and they kept making them bigger and bigger because they wanted to get those tanks. Right. So, so, oh, and that fuck. tank missed it by a little bit. So yeah, when you're sitting there, it, it's weird because it ended up being probably about 18 minutes of time I think it was between the bomb blast and when I was picked up in the helicopter and in that time it's like you have 25 years of thoughts going through everything really slows down and I thought about my myself playing little league baseball and just the stupid shit that goes through your head but it's uh, your body's trying to cope your mind I'm sure is trying to wrap around because looking down and seeing your bones sticking out and actually being able to listen to your blood hitting the sand is insane. And, and just it's, you want to think it's a dream, but it's so real and everything around you is so real that there's, there's really no way to describe how 
how that feels. And, and so I think it's just, you know, the body trying to really make sense of something that is impossible to, to make sense of. Yeah. It's weird. It's like you're trying to distract yourself thinking of, thinking of your childhood and thinking of other stuff. Yeah, no, you're 100%, man. You know, uh, I had a therapist on uh, yesterday, actually, um, out in North Dakota. And one of the things we talked about is is uh, a, a huge thing of, of it throughout my life was a fear of death. And uh, watching my dad die um, of cancer was one of the things that kind of triggered me to be in this weird flux of finally seeing what it's like to, to have that moment happen in life. Um, but also witness it and, 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 you know, know what it, know what it's like. And, and, and I'm hearing you talk about not being able to describe it and, and how you distract yourself. And, and, and I'm, I, I have no idea how long I held my dad's hand for. Um, but that you're exactly right on the 25 years thing, man. That's, that's insane. Um, you know, it, it's obviously, and, and from your perspective, you're the one witnessing almost, you, you know, the, the end of, of your, of your life. Yep. And, uh, I mean, I can't, I can't, you know, like I said, I've been on the other side of it where I, I watched my dad pass, but, um, even then, you know, seeing the things that go on then it, it it's, it's baffling to, to understand and, and to be in your position, man, for 18 minutes is, 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 is absolutely fucking insane. Um, do you have a Lieutenant and I'm sorry to say it like this. Do you have a Lieutenant Dan moment where you wake up and there's a guy giving you ice cream or something or, or, I mean, how, how do you, how do you go about after that moment you know um well it it was so they the the guys that were in the vehicle ahead of me they came up and they're they're putting tourniquets on making jokes one of them was the very serious and my buddy adam gallant he's from uh, plumber far north west minnesota he was like I'm not going to lie to you, dude. Your legs are really bad, all right? And I'm like, well, no shit. My bones <laughs> are sticking out. I can see that. Um, so you're uh, alert. You you're it... alert to this. You're not oh, yeah. really out of it. You're not, you know, uh, mm-hmm. okay, okay. So you're, all right, right on. Which I'm glad for, and I'll get to that point, I suppose. Uh, so he put the tourniquet on the right leg. That's the one that was spraying blood, and he got that tightened, uh, got that to stop. And then he, there were five of us in that vehicle. And there were two guys running around on the ground to triage. There was one guy in that Bradley fighting vehicle operating the main gun because we were sitting ducks. And, yeah. I, and I think if it wasn't for that Bradley, we would have been ambushed. But the enemy doesn't want – they don't want any of that smoke. 25-millimeter main gun. Um, and they were keeping contact. That was Adam Seed was in that turret. And he was keeping the medevac helicopter in our headquarters in the loop. Was what they do immediately after the bomb blast. They th- they turn around, saw our vehicle destroyed with people ejected out of it. They knew people were in bad shape, so they had to call a medevac helicopter, tell them injuries are serious. We've got five people in there. Get over here, and then they get in there. They basically grab everything they can, the medevac crew, and head towards us. And as there's updates, that those will be relayed to them so they know what to prepare for on the ground. But they basically grab everything they can. And start headed our way from Al Takatam Air Base. So that yeah, that's about a fifteen to twenty minute flight. And then they come up, they provided that first aid. The one guy was in the turret. But yeah, Adam was the serious one. And my buddy Todd is the opposite. He comes up to me and he's smiling. And he goes, and it's it was a fake, timid smile. And he's like, You look great, buddy. Everything's <laughs> gonna be fine. You're gonna be home soon. Uh 
so it, it, I joke that it was the fakest smile I had seen until I got into politics a few years later. Yeah. And so, fucking um, right, hell yeah, man. So they 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 kept me alert. I felt myself getting cold at one point. I was pretty sure I was kind of circling the drain, and then uh, I grabbed Adam with my good arm and I said, "Tell my family I love them." Oh. And like a good friend, he looked at me and he said, "Shut up, you're going to tell them yourself." And that medevac helicopter arrived shortly after that um they they got us up in the air and i remember them asking me my social security number and i couldn't even get the first number of it out i was so exhausted yeah and that's when i woke up eight days later at walter reed uh army medical center in washington dc so in that eight day stretch though i didn't realize until uh my my guy Jim Cosmo was writing the book. Now, we wrote it together, but he's the primary writer. He's got the writing background, so he was interviewed. I wanted to make sure everybody that was there had some input, and to make sure because we remember things differently, right? And I wanted to, and especially when there's that much chaos and trauma, you want to make sure it's a hundred percent accurate. Uh, and, and so he interviewed everybody that was there that day. He interviewed my company commander who was at the hospital when we were brought in and basically said that I was brought in with a leg on my chest Uh and they, and it like fell and he had to pick it up, but he watched them shock me back to life three times, which I didn't know was the case until the book was being written. And that was chilling to learn because I, like I said, I knew I was very close to dying and but you don't realize but, your heart stopped and, and yeah. they're wow. And they didn't give up on me. So my buddies on the ground in Iraq didn't give up on me. The doctors didn't give up on me at that first field hospital. The doctors in because in Germany, I took a turn for the worst too. And they basically flew my family over to say goodbye essentially. And oh, so I, I made, I missed three flights cause I wasn't stable. And they said, nobody misses the fourth four flights. And survives. So thankfully, I made that one, and I woke up. So the Lieutenant Dan moment wasn't quite there, but I woke up, and it was a hospital room. So I was like, "This better not be heaven, otherwise somebody really was lying to me." Um, yeah, yeah. And it'd, it'd be a weird spot to wake up to. Is like, "Fuck, this is it." Mm-hmm. And I saw. I looked around. I saw my legs were gone. Uh, I was in casts. My ex-wife was there. And, uh, and that was just, that was the kind of the only thing familiar to me. And I, and so all of it was real. There was no, no, I wanted it to be a dream obviously, but it was, this was so real. And I just, so I asked immediately, I asked for my, how my buddies were doing. And first, first one I asked about is my buddy, Tim Nelson, who's my best friend. He was my squad leader over there, my roommate. Yeah. And he was in the seat behind me when we hit the bomb. And I was oh. told he got banged up pretty bad, but he was still in Iraq and he was going to return to duty in a couple weeks. Oh, wow. So, so I was jacked. He's he's just a stud. He's a badass. He probably injured the bomb. <laughs> um, but then I asked about the others and, and I learned that two of my best friends, Corey Ristead from Red Lake Falls, Minnesota, and, and uh, Brian McDonough from Maplewood, Minnesota, both died in the blast. And so that for me, that was like the the rock bottom moment. Yeah. And damn, man, that's uh, how long do you get to know these guys before, uh, you know, before you're into, into duty? So with those ones, I had met them 
about well october of 05 so i mean a little over a year i knew them but you live together you eat together yeah. you're, you you know i mean stories you wouldn't tell your friends that yeah. are so person you tell them i mean you know everything about everybody and um so the the level of closeness is indescribable it's i mean it's kind of like marriage i mean you know everything about everybody you depend on them and i think the the biggest thing I love about those guys and many of the guys I served with is we join, we join the military, we pick this job, but it's, it's a difficult job. It's rewarding, but it sucks. A lot of times it's dangerous. It's difficult. It's scary. And somehow you manage to have a great time. And, and that's because the high quality of characters you're surrounded by. And so losing them is, um, I mean, it, it, it will never not hurt. Right. Which which is good because it, it if it stops hurting then something's wrong, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. but that moment and hearing that they died really put my injuries in perspective and it didn't it gave me a chance to really look at my injuries and say it doesn't matter at that point they didn't know if I was going to walk again because my pelvis had been shattered right so they didn't know they didn't know if I could if my pelvis could support my weight on prosthetics, um, and. It, I didn't care. Of course, I wanted to get better and I wanted to heal and I was going to work my ass off to do it. But it may it really undercut a, the, the chance for me to say, man, poor me. This really sucks. I really got hurt bad. No, it, it, it what it did was it it showed that, you know what, I got a second chance at life that my friends didn't get. And it would be really, really shitty of me if I sit here and wallow in my sorrows and feel sorry for myself when I got a second chance at life that my friends didn't get. And that is really that moment. That was my aha moment. And it shaped my perspective really moving forward from there. I, I 100% man. I mean, the fact that that, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying not to tear up right now, man. That's fucking insane to, to, to one morally accept and, and to two, um, to, to, to carry as, as a badge, because you know, that, you know, you have to, you have to move on for other people. And, and especially the fact that somebody laid their life out for you. I mean, I, the imagine, or the, the amount of gratitude that has to go into that to something that you can't ever say thank you to that person has to be, has to be, you know, um, I, <laughs> there's not, I can't imagine there's even a fucking word for it, man. That's, um, that's crazy. Um, and, and I want to say, I apologize by saying Lieutenant Dan in my head, I was thinking like, Oh, don't like uh, ice cream. Like, the, dude, like you wake I'm up not, and you're like, you know, I didn't, I didn't even think to think that he was I also knew what you meant. Oh, fuck. I'm not offended by anything, dude. Calm down. You're good. No, I know. I, I, as, as you, I, I just feel so bad. Like, Oh, I really had to say that was fucking a terrible thing to say. Um, no. but I get you, man, but that's, it shows you're comfortable. That's good. That's what I want. I don't want anyone to, to interview me with kid gloves on. That's true. I, I let yeah. it rip. right on, man. I appreciate it. Well, let let me ask you this then. So, um, I, I you know, I, I know, you know, um, how do you how do you go on from that point? So, so you're 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 up. You're finally stable. You're you're at least um um I'm there, right? You mm -hmm. you know, you're healthy or not healthy, but you're 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 there enough to be alive and and you're you're relevant to the world again. You're not in and out and. So where do you go from there? I mean, you know, um, 
Um, how does, how does therapy go? How does, how does, um, getting back into the life once you're, once you're in America and and you're, you're, you're living life again, how how does all that go? How do you, how do you take on that, that, that next step in your life? It's the, well, Walter Reed is the, is one of the finest medical institutions in the world. And, and they've, the people there had a plenty of experience. I mean, the war had gotten real bloody at that point. Afghanistan was starting to get bloody again. Iraq was very bloody. This was right, right when the surge was happening, when they, when president Bush said enough's enough, we need to get shit under control and sent additional troops over there and said, we're not messing around anymore. We're going to, we're going to clean this place up. Um, so with that became a lot, was a lot of casualties. I mean, it's a little easier once. So at first when you're in the ICU, it's tough because there's a lot of things. I mean, I had internal injuries. I lost portion of my intestines because shrapnel went in there. Uh, so they had to there take care of the internal stuff and my overall making sure my body would function. And then once I got to that part where I was healed up enough that then I could, um, drink water, because at first I couldn't, um, they had to ease me into that kind of thing. I could start nibbling on food and whatnot. Once I got out of the ICU and was put on ward 57, which is the amputee ward, then you see other people that are in the same spot you're in missing one limb, two limbs, some three limbs. And then when you, then you start going to physical therapy, you're surrounded by people in the same, same boat. And you might be having a tough day. That guy next to you is is looking at you saying, let's go, come on. And you've got a physical therapist there saying, all right, do this. I'll be right back. And you start working on certain things. Um, and you see the guy to your left working his ass off. You're not going to quit. Right. And vice versa. And it makes it where you're in this, you're not alone. And so, uh, that part of it was so awesome and so motivating to see other people. And to be honest, there are people there that were way more injured than I was. And so it's, I was one of the more injured ones, but there were some that were worse off than me. And I'd look at them and say, that guy's missing an arm and a leg or an arm and two legs. I need to, I better not sit here and, and, and be, uh, turning into a cupcake. I need to work my ass off. And that's why I made it out of there in nine months. They said two years was roughly the estimate. And, uh, I just, I wanted to get back to Minnesota I busted my ass and was able to to get the hell out of there and and it it felt good to get home. Hell yeah, man. Uh can I ask how when you see other people and you and you're in the room with other people who who've lost an arm or something. I mean, at, at how soon do you go I'm grateful it's my legs because you realize how much your hands are needed for for basic just just living. I mean, I know it's mm-hmm. a really weird question, but how grateful do you have to no, be that No, it's not a weird question. So, yeah, how, a good, yeah, it, go. it's a good question. Thank you. It's, sorry, I keep cutting you off. No, no, you're fine. It's always I hate I hate the, the the thing about the you know the Skype and all that is that you never you know you end up talking over people. So no worries, man. I get it. There's a bit of a delay too, I think. Um, gotcha. But, but the uh, the fine motor skills compared to gross motor skills, I learned that pretty quickly. So I had to go to occupational therapy to do stuff. So my hands, my left arm had been both bones were broken in that. Okay. And it. And so my hand was numb. My other hand was kind of numb and I had broken small bones in there, but it wasn't anything. So I had to go to occupational therapy 
and this tells how long ago this was now, is, is in there, they had a big TV set up with Nintendo Wii that you could you could work on certain things with. But okay. there's all these little, like I'd have to put together puzzles and have to do other stuff. And that helped get some of my dexterity back. And, and they actually told me I should play video games. So I got an Xbox. Uh, or actually, I believe it was an Xbox 360 right when that came out. And Hell yeah. played video. And the doctors had said, play video games. Do, and I'm not much of a video gamer. I like some of them. But that helped. So I was grateful for the fact that I did not lose my hands because I saw how difficult that is. And the, you know, I, I can still get around and that took a while, but it, it became just a pain tolerance thing where you just, they said, you're going to have to just battle through the pain and eventually your limbs are going to get used to having the prosthesis on them. But if you want to live a relatively normal life, you're going to have to be on prosthetic. And I wanted to be. Yeah, on, on prosthetics, and so I just worked my ass off, and and uh, they had to take my legs away from me f- for a bit because I was trying to go too hard, and they didn't want me to be walking at night when I didn't have a physical therapist around to watch me and stuff. That I'd want to put my legs on in my hospital room and go for a walk. Well, they don't want you doing that for obvious reasons. And so right, they, right. they actually took my out, legs man. away from me. Yeah. I gotcha. <laughs> right. I, that's a weird concept to think of is being like, you know, you, you get that far to have legs and they're like, Hey, we got to take them away from you. Mm. Um, strange. What was real quick? What was the video games you ended up playing? Uh, uh, that- NBA, NBA 2K would have been 2k7 i think or it might have been the the actual ea sports one i forget i but i played basketball um i did play uh i was kind of bored of war games at that point having been through a real one and been on the Ah. business end of some some shit but um fuck but uh oh man ncaa did you ever play ncaa ncaa football yes I might have backed that because that was before they shit canned it, I think, right? Oh, dude, don't even get me started. That's been a huge thing on this podcast about, about mm-hmm. the fact that I, I, I dedicated like the last seven years to the last one they made. Uh, but yeah, they shit canned it in 13. Okay. Yeah. It, uh, I might have played that. So this was the summer of, this is like early 2007. So I don't know if I had, I, I ended up because at the hospital too, one of the things, and, a lot of people try not to rush out of Walter Reed for some of this because there's a lot of guys that are single, don't have, you know, a wife mm-hmm. or kids or anything. So they can be there as long as possible and you get to go on all kinds of trips. There's organizations that will take you skiing, fishing, golfing, this, that, uh, whatever video games, they, which video games do you want? They'll bring, um, you know, I would, I liked going to buy them or I liked ordering. I don't, I don't like to be given a lot of stuff, Yeah, 100%. Um, but still inevitably people drop games off and whatnot. So I've had, I don't know, probably 30, 40 games. <laughs> and so right it was on. obscene. Hell you start yeah. running out of room in the, in the hospital room because all the shit you accumulate. Right. Right. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, yeah man. I get you. So, all right. So, so you, you know, you, you get your legs, they, they take them away when, when you're using them too much. Um, 
what's it like to readjust back into the world and, and, and when you were finally told, you know, hey, you're, you're good to go, you know, live a life that's outside of a hospital and, and therapy, you know, uh, when did that moment take place and, and uh, what was it like? It was uh, end of, or not the end of 07, it was like August of 07 when I got back home. And it was weird because you, at Walter Reed, like I said, you're surrounded by people that are going through the same exact thing that you are. You're, there's, everything is built there and set up for amputees. And you learn how to get around that area in the DC area. And people don't really, wouldn't look at you that funny because there's other amputees around from because a lot of people were at Walter Reed or Bethesda going through the same thing. And, um, coming back to Minnesota, the show must go on. You get here and, you know, I went through, and that's kind of how I like to roll is I'm trial by fire. And I know that the world isn't going to stop because John got injured. You know, my friends had to continue on with their lives my family had to continue on with their lives. So you get home and the world doesn't stop for you. You got to, you got to integrate yourself and find a new skill set. I was no longer going to be an army infantryman. I was no longer going to work in an ink factory as my civilian job. I had to get out of my comfort zone and find other things I was good at. And that's when I got plugged in with KFAN and they hockey had said, when you get back from the, they, I was on the show once just to talk about what happened. That was like May of 07. I was still in the hospital, but I came back for R&R. And Hockey said, when you come back for good, we're going to have John Creasel week, so let me know. And I let him know because I wasn't passing that up. And right, right. I went on because we, we had hit it off so much on that first that time I was on the show. Hell so yeah. I came in for a week and got to got to know them better. And they said the reaction was good, so they asked me to come in weekly from then on. So since August of 07, that's when I've been on the show. But that gave me confidence and a sense of purpose. And it, I'm obsessed with sports. I love sports. And so I got to go around and interview Viking players. I got to be in the locker room and, and, and interview Adrian Peterson and do this and be around it. And, and, that's, and it, it felt normal. I mean, it didn't feel normal to me because I was still like, holy shit, this is nuts. Right, right, exactly. But, yeah, but yeah. It, but, but it became normal kind of like it was it was my job, and it gave me a sense of purpose, a place to be. Because I was still in the military. I was going through my out-processing, so that, which takes like a year and a half to medically be discharged. They go through everything and make sure that they don't just kick you out and say, all right, good luck to you. They make sure you're taken care of. They see if there's any other jobs in the military you want. It's a desk job. And I was like, nope, nope. If I can't kick in doors and fight, I'm not, I'm out. Um, so in the meantime, I had a lot of free time. I would take the stepkids to school and pick them up. I'd go to Winter Park and interview players on some afternoons. I'd be on the morning show on, I think it was Mondays and Fridays at that time. And that was kind of the beginning of the transition. And then once I got medically i met i went to the governor's fishing opener in 07 and or actually early 08 and i met two people that were i met the the commander for the recruiting battalion here in minnesota here and he said if you want a job once you once you let me know and i told him well i'm getting out of the army i don't want to stay in 
And he said, okay, well, you once you're retired, we're going to hire you. And so I got hired as a civilian contractor, and that was like the first big step, I think, into normalcy because I worked with soldiers. I worked for a military organization, but I was a civilian. And so it was a perfect bridge job to move me into civilian life, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So let me ask you this. Have you ever seen yourself uh, hosting a show or – or doing a podcast or anything? Do you have a podcast? I know you do. Speaking. I do. I do. Oh, I just shit. haven't. I haven't done it for a while. Once Chloe was born, it really took a back seat. Oh, I was gonna um, say. I felt like an asshole for not even knowing that. I didn't even fucking oh, think to fine. look into it. Go on. I might start it back up now with uh, every with the state becoming a prison again. Um, I'll have a lot of free time, so I'm thinking of yeah. It's the Great Time Podcast. It's available on iHeart, iHeart Radio, Apple. All of the all of the places, um, but I haven't recorded one for pro- probably might even be about a year now. Oh wow! Okay, uh, can yeah, I ask you? It was what, fun though. I enjoyed it. I was going to ask, what do you miss about podcasting? Um, it, it, how long did you do it for? And 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 having the year off, what do you miss about it? Uh, it's just a fun outlet to get your thoughts out there, and I I I'm lucky enough that I get to be on the power trip every Friday. And that provides a, a pretty solid outlet for me, obviously. Uh, the cool thing about a podcast is it's whatever you want. I could talk about politics. I could talk about weather. I could talk about the Vikings. I could talk about my family. Um, so that part of it's nice. But uh, I don't know. It's fun. I, I've been able to, over the years, fill in for certain people on the station and host my own show, whether it was Common Man oh, shit. or PA a couple times. So that's that part is that's been fun. It's but it's probably been six, seven years since I've done that. You know, I've got with my my regular job, my full time job, and then uh, my speaking engagements, and now having a a toddler. Mm-hmm. It's time is time is a little tough. So it's it's tough to 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 take time off and and host a show and. Let's be honest. The the talent in that building, they don't need me. I mean, oh, the, sure. when you know when Paul Allen's out, Norno does a great job filling in, and Norno gets it because that's that's he's on that show. Yeah. Same with when Common Man's out, Tana B runs that show, uh, and and he's fantastic at it. And that's that's what so fantastic is that it's a huge stable of talent. So me, I'm basically the Kyle Sloter, you know. That a, a handful of people are like, hey, hey, we want to see. Or, or now, I don't even think Sean Mannion gets gets the the love that Sloter used to be. Just people be like, just all he needs is a chance. Well, there'd be probably five to ten people in the state that would be like, man, you should get your own show. It would be great. But in all actuality, the level of talent at that building. No, I'm a third, fourth stringer at best. <laughs> I get you. No, you're you're a fun guy though, and and you have such you know you have such a story and 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 a and a look at life that so many people don't have. That it would just be interesting to see even what you bring every day. You know, e- even if it's the the talk about the weather or whatever, it it's coming from a standpoint of somebody who is enjoying such a life that you know you're having a great time. Thing is. Is 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 like a mantra, but it's more than a mantra. <laughs> it, it's it's you know it's so much once you know the impact of your story, 
Um, and, 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 you know, obviously I'm a rube, you know, I've been listening, I, I listened to K-Fan when I was working manual labor when I was like 17 mm-hmm. and there was a couple of years that I took off and then I don't know, I think I started overnights and it was right when Mark Parrish became a thing and the Mark Rosen, uh, Alaskan pipeline became a bit. And that was yep. when I really became a full-time power <laughs> trip. Right, right. Great times. And, you know, you hear, you hear your story and everything and that's, you know, how you, how you, the, the nice thing about the power trip is is for being a show with three main people I don't know how many people get so much love just being a co-star on it but being a weekly guest mm-hmm. you're just a part of the show and 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 you learn so much and you and you like to learn the per or like to love the personalities that you know it, it's a it's a it's a it's a great fucking show and obviously I don't have to tell you that you you know you get to be a part of it every week um let me ask uh how do you how do you take that role how do you did it take a while to adjust to being on the radio and 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 publicly you know even just just minneapolis and in the twin cities wide how do you take that role once you know that you're in it and and you know you're going to get to be on there when does it become a regular thing or did it become pretty regular because of how cool everyone seems well, I mean, it's regular in the sense that I go to, I've been doing it now so long, but it's still, I don't take it for granted. I, I treat it as, and I'm, it's very easy. It, I'm lucky. I can't say those guys do so much work. They make it look easy. And right. if you see how they operate, Corey, Chris, and Paul, they, they make it so anyone thinks man, I could do that. And that's an easy job getting to shoot the shit for three hours, five five days a week. And what, and that's how good they are is they make it seem like anybody can do it, but it's, it's, that's not the truth. And I, I look at it as it's fun. It's exciting. They've become family to me. And I think that's what works so well is that all of the weekly guests, what you hear is when you hear them on air, that's who they are. There's not an act. There's not, you know, meat sauce has certain bits that are, I mean, there's a lot more to them. Yeah, no, I've, I've than, heard, I've heard you know, podcasts. He plays a with... certain role on there. Oh, sorry. He's a, yeah, yeah. It, it, but it's, besides certain little tiny bits or what, it, what you hear is that's them. Yeah. That's what, when we're on air, we're an open book and that's fun. I mean, Used to it now being a little bit in the public eye where your life is show prep. So I talk about my family. I talk about my daughter, all that. And we run into people at the store. And people would be like, oh, hey, how's it going? You feel like they feel like they know you because they hear about your life. And that's that's awesome. It's it's flattering and it's fun to be a part of. But um, I don't think there's ever going to be a time that I get used to it per se. I, I'm I'm accustomed to it, but I'm not used to it because it is so foreign. I like you. I'm a rude. Listening to this stuff, uh, to the. I used to listen back when it was Chad and Barrero, and then when they when it was Chad and then Barrero. Tonight I would listen to the fan, and now I get to be uh, a very small part of it. But it is. It, it's we care about one another. If some. We all we take care of them and and the, about it the most and that's why when you hear warnings, 
it is just friends sitting around. A lot of show prep, and they get the show. They, they have the segments that were obviously direction to it. But we're all love each other, truly care about one another. And that's why I love it so much on there. I got you. Sorry, you were cutting out just a little bit. I don't know if it's uh, raising your voice or or or, or what. Um, but I got most. Of, I got I got a lot of what you were saying. Uh, I didn't want to cut you off. Sorry, because I didn't know when it would come in and out, and I, I was listening. Okay. Um, but I get you that you that you're oh a rube. Uh, give me give me like another. I don't know. Give me a weird sentence just so I can hear you. All right. How is this? Can you hear what I'm saying? Perfect. Yeah. Sorry. That's, okay. it, it's such a hard All thing right. to ask somebody to give a sentence and be like, "What? Am, what the fuck am I gonna say next?" Um, <laughs> I get you, man. Um, being a rube. What's your favorite part uh, of of? Do you listen to other podcasts? Do you listen to other sports talk? What's your favorite part of just just kind of sports talk or or, or you know this kind of format of, of of listening to it? Well, I, I mean, currently I listen to to the fan from five thirty to six thirty, five thirty a.m. to six thirty p.m. You know, if I'm at work, Hell yeah. I have it on. You know, if I'm in meetings and stuff, I will I will mute it. And then I'll usually go back and listen. Um, so the fan, and obviously I'm biased because I think the fan is the greatest station in the state. And uh, and I, we've got plenty of good ones around. I mean, CCO has been good for years. I grew up listening to the KQ Morning Show and loving them. And I loved Tom Bernard and all those great people and a great show. So, I don't know if I'm properly answering the question, but when I listen to other shows and other mediums, whether it's podcasts or uh, one of my favorite things to listen to on Sirius XM is Vegas uh, Stats and Information, VSIN, Channel okay. 204. Right on. I like, uh, uh, and that's all sports betting and sports gambling. Um, but I just love, I don't know, I just love the variety of it. I, I just think the, the fans, is so fantastic from the morning show where you can talk politics and serious stuff where you can talk about farts and and whatever else and then you've got dan barrero at, at night i mean i all of them from morning to night you've got straight sports from nine to noon you've got goofiness but some sport from noon to three uh, and just how those two are i love the common man show and then dan barrero there isn't a better uh, radio personality, I don't think, are around uh, than than Dan Barrero. Just a fantastic show from, and, and he can touch it all as well. So I, I don't know. It's just I'm I'm a big fan of the station, and so yeah, that's <laughs> I'm I'm thrilled to just get to be a small part of it. Right. No, I get you. And, and, and you're exactly right. The fact that you have so many different personalities and and you have Paul Allen, who's one of the biggest Ruby of the Vikings and positivity and, you know, uh, just the, the general jokes that KFAN throws out there between each morning or each not each morning mm-hmm. show, but each show, they kind of shit on each other. But they know that they're shitting on each other because it's something that that show doesn't necessarily offer. But they also know that they all work together and, and it flows very well to be able to, you know, go to positivity to Corey's kind of whatever to meat sauces game of, you know, rope a dope. And, 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 
and there's this whole flux and when they hate on each other's show it makes you want to listen to that show because then they mention yep. that show and, and it, it's it is this hilarious you know the thing that got me was dan cole when he used to talk about senior writers and all this and i was like is there fucking writers for this this stuff <laughs> i always thought for sure that you just show up and you do whatever and, and it's still one of those things that's a good joke and you know i i used to catch myself calling in being like john randall was never drafted don't call don't say he was a first round draft and you know i i, I never got the bit until after you really listen and realize he's he's fishing you but no man you're exactly right it's 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 a great fucking time just even if you're bored and and need something just to to blow air into because half the time uh they don't talk about especially the power trip they don't talk about sports and 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 that's the bit on the show is that they're a sports morning show and that they're highly rated but yet if anyone ever listened to them they'd be like what the fuck is this you know, mm-hmm. the music episodes are some of my favorite episodes when they when they break down music and they go, you know, go through everything. Um, but but yeah, man, uh, let me close it out by this. I, you know, I don't know how much time, you know, you have. I know you got uh, young kids and or a young kid. Um, and, uh, you know, let, let me ask you this. What what's your favorite uh, Vegas trip you haven't been able to tell on uh, major market radio? My favorite Vegas trip. Well, I kind of told the, I mean, I've had so many. This last one was trip 39. So I have so many of them. So overall, my very favorite one was when I proposed to my wife, Kayla, my current wife. There you go. Um, Got a table at the Eiffel Tower restaurant in the very corner. So we had the table overlooking the strip, had it all set up, proposed to her. Had a limo pick us up, take us around the town all night. Um, that was a whirlwind. And so of all my trips, that was my favorite one. But my goodness, I don't think there – of all 39 trips, I don't think there's any of them that I didn't like, though. So if I ever make it out to Vegas, the last trip I've ever made was uh, to Nebraska, and we drove nine hours, and I ended up getting – uninvited to a wedding that I was invited at, which is the reason I was in Nebraska in the first place. Um, so I haven't really taken too many trips. If I go to Vegas, give me like a perfect newbie, uh, experience that I'm, I'm going to enjoy. Um, uh, from your perspective, I, I know, I know I'll, I'll, I'll remember it. So let me know. Sure. So the, you've got kind of two Vegases. You've got downtown old Vegas and you've got the strip, which is new Vegas and everything you see on TV and all of that. You got to do them both. Okay. You got to do them both on your first time. So I'll focus more on the strip. Obviously you got to go there. You want to stay someplace center strip, whether it's Bellagio, Caesars, Bally's, uh, Paris, where you're right in the middle by that's where shit takes place by the fountains. All the places are are in close proximity. You gotta you gotta see the Bellagio fountains. You gotta walk the strip and just people watch. You definitely need to be there for an NFL Sunday because the sports book on a football Sunday is just fantastic energy. I'm not a huge college football guy. I, it's fine, and I'll sit there and gamble on it. But NFL's my wheelhouse. So you got to do that, and then uh, you definitely need to have a. I'm not much of a club guy. I don't think I ever even was back in the day when I first started going. Right. But the clubs are, if you like clubs, they've got some of the best ones. If you don't, go have a nice dinner. Um, it's just, there's so much to do there, you name it. If you hate gambling, you still would love Vegas because they've got the finest restaurants in the world. You name a type of cuisine, they've got the best of it. You can go out a little ways and shoot machine guns. You can 
golf at amazing golf courses that would make most courses in Minnesota look dumb. Um, there's just, there's a lot to it. And, and so that's where it's tough. I get that question a lot. Having been there so many times, people will ask me, what do I need to do? It's, it's, there's not a one size fits all. It's to each their own. But I think for me, a perfect night is you, you gamble a little bit during the day, you know, maybe some pool time. You got to get ready for a nice dinner. After dinner, you let it rip. You go out, you gamble, bark at the moon, uh, just drink as much as you possibly can, and then start over the next day and and hope that you got some money in your pocket still. <laughs> oh, see, see, that's the worst part. My, my, the big thing now is is uh, would would cannabis uh, have have you have you got to enjoy that at, at all? Uh, uh, weed. I don't know why the fuck I said that. Have you have you got to enjoy that when you're out there? I I don't really. No. Um, not my, not it used to be my jam back in the uh, when I was a teenager and stuff. Um, but uh, I got no. I think it should be legal here. Uh, and you know, if I was ever in office again, that's something that I would I would support. But um, some of the people I'm with will stop stop at a dispensary For out sure. there, and it's uh, it's kind of weird because it still feels like it's taboo and and it shouldn't be doing it but it's 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 legal and uh the proceeds help their education system out there right. so it's uh it's no it's cool it's you smell it everywhere and right but you you would before it was legal anyway so it's uh yeah it's it's a funny 2020 funny funny year right yeah the fact that nationally it's illegal but you can just be in a weird spot and be like yeah it's cool here go whatever mm-hmm. um have no you, one have you drove anymore. out there have, uh, cause my, I, I have not. Okay, because my big thing is I, I know that I, you know it, it is 2020. I've been in an airplane completely fine. Obviously, I'm here today. Um, I don't know if I can ever put myself in another one. So the big thing is I will drive out there. So I was going to ask, what uh, do you have a recommendation for how to get out there if I don't want to put myself in the air? But that's all right. Stop I, in Denver. Stop in Denver looks cool. I've never been. That, that's what I would do is stop in Denver. I think that's one of the ways you'd go. Uh, it depends on part of the year. You know, if it's the winter, then the Rocky Mountains are a little bit treacherous, and you, oh. I think you have to go a little further south. Yes. Uh, I forget. But uh, I think it's about a, a day drive. My dad used to always drive out there uh, with a couple of his brothers, and they would just take their time and stop about – halfway so they do like 12 hours one day 12 hours then the next 12 hour leg and then they'd be in vegas hell yeah see and i was willing when cheap when flights were 35 bucks a flight i was willing to risk it and go to denver back in april and then right about the week that we were planning it they ended up saying um hey flights are going to be canceled and you guys are you know no one's flying in or out uh but I get you 100%, man. That's kind of be my thing. I think I'm going to make it out to Vegas at some point, but Denver will be a first stop, and then I think I'm just going to keep continuing and, and drive all the way out to Vegas. But right on, man. I like that you're saying, you know, have a nice dinner, and, and, and I'm not a club guy, so I appreciate you saying that you can find a nice dinner and, and, and be able to go out and still have a good time uh, yeah. even just hanging out on the strip. Right on. Um, you know, John, I appreciate you one telling your story because I imagine it, it gets old and, and not even if it gets old, but it, it's gotta be something that you, you know, um, as much as I'm, I'm sure you're happy about living through it, you got to imagine you want to stop talking about it or at least, at least describing it the way you had to for me, man. I, I apologize for having you do it, but uh, you know, no, I, it's all, it's all good. 
Right on. And your story is fucking awesome, which is why, you know, I like I said, I, I know when I tweeted at you, I was going to joke about the OC, but as, as I was telling people about it, not enough people I feel like knew, so I wanted to make sure that, that we cover, you know, how, first off, amazingly thankful, um, you know, I am, uh, at least for listening to you on KFN, you're, you're a hell of a guy to listen to. Um, thank I you for your service. That. Obviously, you know, I, I have to, I have to completely feel bad about my Lieutenant Dan com- comment, Don't. but, but, uh, I'm, I'm at, le- at some point when I'm drinking, I'll be glad I said it. Um, there you go. Right. Exactly, man. But thank you for your time. Uh, you know, I appreciate you coming on the show and, uh, you know, uh, again, thank you for at least being, you know, somebody who, uh, I look forward to waking up on Friday mornings and listening to. So you got it, brother. I appreciate you. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Take care. Have a good one. You too, sir. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.